thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. As we get going, getting, getting to the goal requires grit. And nothing teaches us this principle more than Orlando theme parks. I don't know if you've ever been to an Orlando, Orlando theme park, but if you want to get to a goal, it requires grit. I was the guy this last week who was kind of barking orders because I would have the wait times on my smartphone and I would know how many steps or how far away certain things were. And if we want to accomplish this and this and this, then we need to backtrack. We need to handle this, this and this, and we need to get to these places pretty quick. So kids, go, 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 go. And that was me the entire time. But that's not really what I'm talking about. Uh, what I'm talking about getting to the goal, I want to tell you a couple of quick stories. Uh, number one, my daughter, Chloe, she broke her toe, uh, I don't know, five weeks ago, four or five weeks ago. She broke her pinky toe. And I wish I could say it was from dancing or from kicking her brother or from something really awesome. She dropped a barbell when she was lifting weights, which she doesn't do. I wish I could say it was awesome things, but she was running in and out of the house while we were preparing for Zeta, uh, not Zeta, what was it, Ida? And really we weren't even preparing, we were just organizing our garage. But she broke her toe and we said, hey, don't dance on it, don't dance on it, and she danced on it anyway. I don't know if you've got kids or had kids or grandkids or whatever, and like they start to do things they're not supposed to do and they do it anyway, and you're like, ah, oh, I told you so. And so here it is, we're at a theme park and her toe's hurting. And she wasn't feeling well. And she couldn't get in the stroller too much because there was two other little kids, three other little kids fighting over a stroller. So, Dad, I want to go back to the room. Well, Mary is like, hey, I'll bring her back to the room. And I thought, that's a great idea. Until Chloe's like, I, I can't walk. Someone's got to piggyback me. And Mary's like, I can't piggyback you that far. Now, I don't know if you've noticed me lately. I haven't been working out. My quads aren't that big. I saw some guys at the theme parks in there. I'm like, man, they must walk theme parks every day. But they, she wanted me to, and so I'm like, daddy will do it. And so I looked on my app, because where we were, and I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with Universal Studios, but they've got, we had park hoppers. We were in the back of one of the parks near Harry Potter land. And so you could, you could take a train and go to another theme park and, and we could walk back that way or we could walk back from where we were. And by we, I mean me, I could piggyback my daughter. And I'm looking at the steps and it was, it was like 20, 23 minutes from one location or 22 from another location. And so I chose the one that was 22 minutes and I looked up the amount of steps. We're looking a little less than 3000 steps from there to our hotel. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of steps. But we did it. Like we, I looked at the goal and it was hard because here it is, I have a person that's a little more than half my weight and we, we, I'm piggybacking her, so we had to take a lot of stops, but I had a goal in mind and it took grit. Now, if you've, how many of y'all have ever been to an Orlando theme park? Because some of you have probably not ever piggybacked your kid to, 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 back to their room. This next thing that you, you will know if you've been to an Orlando theme park, you know that, you know that every day almost it rains in Orlando. For whatever reason, it's like 50% like chance of rain every day. And so you know you're probably gonna, normally it's a 15 minute little shower and you're waiting under, underneath a, 
a building or an overhang and you're waiting for it to pass, you know, oh cool, it passed. And then you go to your next ride or wherever you're going. But then, occasionally, there's a torrential downpour. And so we had one of these our first night there. I'm wearing my brand new tennis shoes and it starts raining. I'm like, I don't think it's gonna end. And it starts raining harder. It starts raining like Forrest Gump rain, you know, sideways rain, you know, hitting you in the face rain. It's coming up from the ground rain. It was bad rain. And again, it's one of those, I'm looking at, uh, my, I'm looking at my, my phone and I'm thinking, this is how far we gotta go to get back to our room. And it's gonna be a long line at the boats. So we might as well just go on and, and walk back. And we were walking. Our goal was to get back to the hotel safely and alive. And, and I'm telling you, there was rain everywhere. It got to the point where when we got back, it felt like there was water sloshing in our shoes so much. I'm like, did we jump in a swimming pool? Because I swear we jumped in a swimming pool. And we, it took us a couple days for our shoes to dry out. It was that bad. I wore sandals the next day and I'm like, oh Lord, please don't let it rain today. I can't let it handle again. I don't want that. Getting to our goal in Christ guarantees that we'll have opposition every step of the way. Our goal in Christ will, both on purpose and on accident, spread the gospel. And so you can expect to have opposition every step of the way. It could be a family struggle. It could be a loss. It could be financial hardships. It could be all of the time, 100%. You can guarantee you're going to have spiritual struggles, things that are going to creep up. The guys and I were talking this morning. It can be things that creep up in our marriages or with our parenting or with our, our like parenting, our in-laws or our outlaws. It could, it could be all these different things that happen. But you can guarantee that as you are heading towards your goal in Christ, you're going to have spiritual hardships. So getting to the goal in Christ is going to require grit. You're going to have to look hard and focus hard on what that goal is because the enemy doesn't want it. He doesn't want us getting closer towards Jesus. He doesn't want us becoming more like Christ. He doesn't want us becoming better versions of ourselves. He, doesn't, he wants us to remain sitting in our underwear, underneath a blanket, eating Cheetos, on the couch, binge watching hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of TV. I'm out of Cheetos. I need to go get Oreos. I'm out of Oreos. I need to go get, like yesterday I, I looked, I'm like, goodness gracious, I weighed yesterday and then again today, I ate way too much popcorn and raw cookie dough. And I'm like, why did I do that? I know my health decisions don't support this. And what happens when you don't make your health, like good health decisions? Your spirit, your spirit suffers. And you say things that you shouldn't be saying. Philippi was the first church in Europe. And there's a lot of, if, if any of y'all, any of y'all like have brothers or sisters? If you have brothers or sisters, if you're the first, if you're the oldest, then you know what I'm talking about. Being the first, I feel so bad for Chloe sometimes because she gets the brunt of whatever it is. We're always trying stuff out on her and whatever works. Hey, we're going to try that out on this next kid and the next kid after that and someone else's kid and like we just see whatever works and then sometimes it doesn't work and you're like, oh, that didn't work. Let's not try that again. Philippi was the first church in Europe. And so Paul, as he was trying out things, as he was preaching things and then he would go and he would go off on his missionary journey somewhere else and he'd hear back about Philippi and then he'd have to write to him and hey, I'm going to come back to you you can guarantee that they had a lot of opposition. 
they even had a lot of spiritual opposition. And so that's where Paul's writing to, or that's what Paul's writing to. And he's like, listen, I've heard some issues. Some of the stuff I want to write to you about is like humility. We got to look at humility. We need to look at unity. But one of Paul's major themes, and we're going to talk about it today, is salvation. Paul's like, I really want to talk to you what, what it means, not just salvation, because for Paul, he wrote often about salvation being a past event, a one-time event that happened. You're like, if you grew up in Baptist circles, it's get saved. You're going to get saved. But Paul opens up a little bit broader of a context for salvation. He wanted us to live certain ways. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're, now we're going to be in Philippians 2, so you can go ahead and flip there. But Philippians 1, 27, it, it ties back into Philippians 2, 12. Which surprisingly, if you wonder why we looked at Psalm chapter 2 today, it's because like that ties into Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And you'll see that in just a moment. But Philippians 1, 27, he says it this way. He says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, I want, you to, I want to remind you that he wrote the book of Philippians to believers. He wasn't writing it so somebody would hopefully believe in Christ. Like he's saying, hey, I know that you are believers, you are the church, and so I, I want to address you as if you're disciples of Christ. And so here are some things that you need to know. Just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you, like whether I'm present or whether I'm absent, I will hear about that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, continuing together in the faith of the gospel. He's like, let your manner, let your way of life be worthy of the gospel. Rick Warren said it this way. It's a very negative statement, but it's really powerful. He says, if you aren't doing anything with your life, it doesn't matter how long it is. I mean, that's harsh. If you're not living your life with purpose, and if you're not living your life for Jesus, for the gospel, for the good news that Jesus Christ came, he lived a sinless life, he died taking the wrath due, the punishment due for you and for me on himself, and he nailed it to a cross, and then he rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by trusting in him, we have this guiltless conscience, this white slate clean because of salvation. And so we are to live for God and His glory. He's like, if you aren't doing anything with your life, it doesn't matter how long it is. Why? Because we were meant to live for so much more than what we're living for right now. We're meant to live for so much more than Netflix. They don't even ask me anymore, are you still watching? They just, they just like, they'll, they'll start a new episode within 20 seconds. Like you see it, I don't know if you've ever seen that, if you watch Netflix or whatever, but like it just, like the timer, like it's not even a timer, it's just counting down kind of, but like you see the bar going and it's like, it's about to load, it's about to load, it's about, ah, here we go, here's another one. We were meant to live for so much more than that. He continues on with this quote, he says, your donation, not duration, is what matters. Your donation, not duration, is what matters. We, we lament the fact, we cry about the fact, we pained by the fact that someone's life has ended shortly. But what have we donated in our life? 
Here's your application. What are you doing with your life? Is your life, is your way of life worthy of the gospel? Like, is what you're doing worthy of Jesus Christ? Some of us, like, we're still trying to figure out life. I just, I just want to tell you, as you're trying to figure out what life is and what living looks like, I, I want to encourage you to make Christ your target. James, I'm, I have all these, you know, I talk to college students occasionally, and, like, I hear, I don't know what to do with my life. Like, I've switched. I, I was talking to this one girl this week. I said, hey, how's the nursing school going? She's like, oh, I quit. I've started in the psychology program now, but I might just quit that because I've got my two-year degree, and, and I don't know if I have time left in my life to go into uh, becoming, a, to getting that degree, getting a master's, and getting a doctorate of psychiatry. And she's like, I'm too old. I'm thinking, what? Why would you think that? You're in college. I, I, like, I'm 40, <laughs> and I still feel, feel like I've got time left to do some cool things. But even if we're trying to figure out life, it's like, make Christ your target. We're all trying to figure out something. Make Christ your target. Some of us are like, well, James, if, if, if the question is, is my way of living worthy of the gospel? I'm not a martyr, James. I don't have what it takes to, in me to become a martyr. Okay. Some of us are thinking, well, James, I don't have what it takes to be a preacher. I'm not eloquent. I can't get my, you know, I can't, it's not that I preach in front of folks, but maybe like even at my workplace, I don't have what it takes to be eloquent, to have all my ideas lined up. I can't be a preacher. Some of you are like, well, James, I, you know, I just can't be a missionary because I'm not crazy. Just kidding. I do have missionary friends and they live a radical lifestyle because like when you, when you start to make Christ your goal, Everything else kind of falls by the wayside, like all these other things. And so you, it looks to everyone else like you're crazy because you're living way differently than, than the rest of the world. I, I want to say this to those of you who immediately, if I ask the question, what are you doing with your life? And you immediately start to count yourself out because you're not this, 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 or this. I want to encourage you with these words to don't ever count yourself out in God's story. For some of us, it means that we need to raise our kids to be more like Jesus. And, th and that means we've got to frame for our kid what it looks like to be like Jesus. And for some of us, that means, well, I don't know how to do that. It means like getting tools and resources in your homes that will help point your, that will allow you to help point your kids to Jesus more. For some of us, like, well, I don't have kids, or maybe I don't have grandkids, or maybe I don't have anyone. And like, what do I do? Well, like, it means like going to your workplace, whatever that looks like. And for some of us who are still remote working, it means like looking at helping the people around us become more like Jesus. There's a lot of different ways to help other people become more like Christ. And it all starts with us becoming more like Christ. That's our goal. That's our target. Whether it's encouraging your coworker or encouraging yourself. I'll say it this way, making disciples starts with Christ and ends with others. Making disciples starts with Jesus and ends with other people. And you have to have those two components because you can't make disciples if you don't have Jesus. And you can't make disciples if there's not other people in your life. Just imagine like just sitting there alone, maybe let's say you're a monk in a monastery by yourself, sol solitary, and you're just 
doing those Gregorian chants by yourself, it's going to be hard to tell other people about Jesus if you're by yourself. Consequently, it's hard to tell other people about Jesus if Jesus isn't the goal of your life. Living your life worthy means incorporating others as you live. So the question is, how will we live? Well, that's what we've looked at over the last several weeks in Philippians chapter 2. That's what we've looked at. We've looked at verses 1 through 4, and we've looked at humility, and we've looked at unity. And, and Paul's like, you know, just in case you don't understand humility, let me get you into the mind of Christ. Here's what the mind of Christ looked like, that he emptied himself. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And that's what humility looks like. And he even died for us. And he goes into that for several verses. And then even last week with Trey, you know, saying, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him, Jesus, the name above every, every other name. And so today we get into verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, we looked at that in verse 27, chapter 1, right? Not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we'll look at a few of those words there. Number one, therefore, and we look at this one often whenever we're looking at passages. It also means so then, and we hearken back to verse 27. There's a connection there between verse 12 here and verse 27, because he says, in my presence, but also in my absence, it is so easy to obey someone when they're around you. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your boss, whether it's, I mean, there's no kids in here. I mean, like if it's your principal, right? When there's a cop, how many of us, like, I love that sign this week that I saw. So like when I was in Orlando and I saw those signs on social media, it said uh, uh, that fall, uh, that the seasons uh, dropped from 90 to 55, like it just saw a state trooper. Like when we were driving to, to Orlando and back, it's always funny whenever you're on the road and people start to put on their brake lights and it's like, oh, you must be seeing a state trooper. How much more so, not just in their presence, but in their absence? Paul's like, not just in my presence, but man, in my absence, I would love for you to be obeying. In verse 27, it's, it's telling us for the... For living our life worthy of the gospel of Christ, contending together for the faith of the gospel, like our goal, whether he's here or not. He's like, Philippians, church, whether I'm here or not, I want you to contend for the faith of the gospel. And so in verse 12 here in chapter 2, he says that we would work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Those are some heavy words that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what is the word salvation? A lot of us, we've been around church for a long time. We understand salvation is, is, means that you've, you're saved. You've trusted Christ. You, you trust Jesus to, you trust his work. You trust him completely and that our words and our actions, our attitudes all go towards what Christ has modeled for us. The word for salvation in this verse here, it's a Greek word, and I don't like normally getting into what, like, I don't normally like to say what the word is in Greek because it's going to be hard to write down, and it's just brainy, and it's puffing myself up. But in this case, it's kind of important. It's the word soterion. It's where we get our word for, for soteriology, which is a huge $5 theological term, which means the study of salvation. 
And so for a little bit, I want us to look at salvation because that was one of Paul's major themes. This word here, soterion, or, or the word soterio, uh, where we get the word for soteriology or salvation, he uses it 19 different times in his letters. He uses it 19 times, which, and you've, you've heard this from me, frequency is a big deal. When something is used more and more and more and more and more, you should probably, be, probably pay attention to it. So why is Paul talking about salvation? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is a hard thing. Like, I wish that we could all say that, that I'm not ashamed of what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for you, and what he's done for our neighbors, and for our parents, and our kids, and our future kids, or our future neighbors, or our in-laws, or our outlaws, or our co-workers, or our boss. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. He's like, man, it is, I'm not ashamed of this, it is so powerful. There he's using the word for, the same word for salvation. In the letter to the Romans, he uses it five different times, salvation. He uses it in Romans 1, he uses it in Romans 10, he uses it in Romans 11, he uses it in Romans 13. It's interesting, because we talk a lot about salvation, theologians or, or folks that are like the guys, for example, we've been in a study uh, from Tim Keller on, on Romans, and we talk a lot about salvation, in like Romans 8 and Romans 9 especially, but he doesn't use that word at all in Romans 8 or Romans 9. Which is strange to think about. But he's like, man, we get into some of these tertiary or third level or even second level theology terms. He's like, man, what you need to know is that Christ died for you. That Christ died for you. Sometimes Paul spoke about salvation in past terms, saying that this was like a past event, this has happened. And it reminds us that salvation, here's a quote from Woost. He says, salvation is not a work of man for God. Salvation is not a work of man for God, but a work of God for man. It's not something that we did on our own for ourselves, for God. God did it through Christ for us. We are saved because of what God has done through Christ. However, this usage, especially here in Philippians chapter 2, this usage kind of sheds light on another major Pauline theme, which is another $5 theological word, but it's words that we as believers need to know. And it's the word sanctification. Sometimes it's, if it's too early in the morning, my coffee hasn't kicked in, it's even hard for me to even spell it. Sanctification, it's the art or it's the study of being sanctified. It's the journey of becoming more like Christ. It's the goal of becoming more like Jesus. It's the process. Well, James, can, like, can you whittle that down for just like simpler for me? Yeah. We live to become like Christ. If I was to boil that phrase down, we live to become like Christ. And we find it here in Philippians chapter 2, but we find it all across Scripture. We live, like our goal is to live to become more like Christ. We live for God's glory, because it's His story anyway, but we live to become like Christ. Like, you can't make much of God without living for Christ. 
And, you know, for those of us that have trouble deciding on our career, we live to become like Christ. Dating choices, we live to become like Christ. I love that when I used to like preach to teens all the time and I would say, hey, does this person go to church? You probably don't need them. Why? I could be a missionary. You could. You really could. Or you could go like to India and, and be a missionary and that would be fine too. Um, but I wouldn't date someone who doesn't know Christ. It works out occasionally. Nine times out of ten it doesn't, but it does work. Your goal should always be to live towards Christ. What about with school? You should go to a school where you won't have some things that keep your mind off Christ. Well, should I join this? Live in such a way to keep your mind on Christ, keep your focus on Christ. What about this moral choice in, in my family? You should live to become like Christ. Well, what should I do with my money? You should live to become more like Christ. So it goes from our spending habits to our eating habits to our sleeping habits to our to our social habits, whatever you do in life, whether you eat or drink, all should be done for the glory of God and we should all look towards Jesus. So the question goes back to Philippians chapter two. He says, work out your own salvation. How do we do that? The word there means to carry out the goal, like to carry out the goal. It's a word that's used 22 times in the New Testament, to carry out the goal. Ephesians chapter six, it's used it's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. And so he goes to the church of Ephesus. He's writing a letter to them. He's like, hey, this is the armor. Like you're going to have spiritual attacks because the enemy does not want you living for Jesus. He can put anything in your marriage and your relationships, friendships, workplaces to like try to trip you up or even in your own mind. I get discouraged a lot. I've told you about those things. And he's like, he's going to do anything he can to get your mind off of Christ. You should put on this armor to help protect you. And then he says it this way in verse 13. He says, for this reason, take up the full armor so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. The word there is having prepared everything to take your stand. It's the same word in Philippians 2.27 that's... Uh, 2.12 that says to, to work out your salvation. It's the same exact word, to work out, is to, to move towards a goal. Romans chapter 4 says it this way. Romans 4.15, if you're writing down scriptures. Because the law produces, like the word, is, it, the, the word that's translated here is produces. It's the same exact Greek word. The law produces or carries out the goal of wrath. Like law, if we were to only obey the law, this is why faiths that look at works only and say that it's, it's faith plus works or anything besides just faith. When we live out and say, well, I'm a good person because of what I do. And I'll be saved. I deal with people like that all the time in my line of work as a chaplain. I say, hey, tell me, tell me about uh, you know, what church you go to. Tell me about your faith in Christ. Tell me about your religious background, your spiritual background. And they say, well, I grew up this and I do this many religious things. That is the strangest, most random noise I think I've ever heard in a sermon. But they'll say, I do this, and so therefore I'm a good person. I'm like, man, no, works don't make you a good person. They never will. Because we, we, the law, if we only adhere to the law, 
and these are the right things to do and these are the wrong things to do, then it only produces wrath. That's the goal that law brings us out to. And that's why we need Christ. Same exact word. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says it this way, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. It's the same word, produces, it's carrying out to the goal. Affliction is carrying to the goal endurance. James says it very similarly in James chapter 1, verse 3, he says that the testing of our faith produces endurance. The same word that we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, where it says to work out. When you trusted Christ, he had already given you salvation. And I'm not going to preach on that right now because that's just a huge 18 sermons long right there. But when you trusted Christ, he had already given you salvation. But I do want to tell you this, that salvation is a process. And I've heard this before, and if you've been around church circles, you've probably heard this too. You are saved, like you were saved at some point in your life. You trusted Christ, he drew you to himself, however that works on the other side of heaven, but God himself, through Christ, saved you. You were saved, you are saved, and that's the sanctification process, it's the, the living for Christ process, and you will be saved sometime when we get to go meet our maker in heaven, you will be perfected, it's what, what we call perfection or glorification, I should say, like you will at some point when we die, like you will become, and that's a whole lot of sermons too, but we'll become exactly who God created us to be. And some of you are like, I'm just looking for that new body. And there's some sermons on that that like, I don't know if I'll get into, but like there's some things I'm like, wait, 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 we'll get a glorified body, but then again, there's this, there's something special about it, I don't know. Anyway, here we go. What is the point? We live to become like Jesus. That's why Paul said, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, that we train for godliness. It's not enough for, for us to say, hey, I trusted Jesus at some point, or I prayed a prayer, or I signed a card, or whatever, like at some point I, I was saved, and I'm done. Like me just sitting here alone or listening online, like it, this is enough for me. It's not enough. Yes, salvation is through Christ alone, through faith alone, yes. But we've got to train for godliness. Or as Paul says it here in Philippians, we've got to work out this salvation. Working out carries the connotation of working a math problem. If you like simple terms, you have an equation that you're bringing to the end result, to the answer, to a conclusion. So for those of us who like logic, just think of Paul saying to work out our salvation as if it's a math problem, that we're working towards an answer. You're taking this equation, you're working towards an answer. We've got to carry our Chloe's to the hotel. We've, we've got to bring our family through the rain, almost a mile, with lightning all around, water in our shoes, hungry. We, we've got to bring our family safely home. We've got to live to become like Christ. We work out our becoming like Christ by obedience. That word for obedience is used 21 times in the New Testament, and it's always talking about submitting to authority. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, 
Like so obeyed or obedience here is somehow tied to working out our salvation. One way to show Christ, one way to show that Christ is king of our hearts is to obey him. Andy Stanley once said it this way back when, back 20 years ago, back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I remember hearing him say, when someone tells you what to do, the question is not what but who. And like when we are disobeying those in authority above us, it's really that we're disobeying God as well because God put authority above us. Whether it's a pastor, whether it's your boss, whether it's the president of the United States, God puts authority above us. And as long as we're not breaking God's commandments and obeying them, then we need to obey. So one of the ways that we show that Christ is king of our heart is through obeying authority. It could be your boss, it could be your parent, it could be your spouse, it could be your lifeguard. And it, it'll be scripture for sure. Scripture tells us certain things to do, and then it's like, don't do this. And it'll tell us certain things to do, and it's like, hey, seriously, don't do this. And so we work out becoming like Christ by obedience with, our, with fear and with trembling. It reminds me of installing a fan in Allie's room, right? So Mary and I buy this house that needed some work done. I'm not good with tools. Y'all should have seen me like repairing my gutters yesterday. Like there's like one gutter that was disconnected from the other. And I'm like, there's, I don't know how to do this. Like it won't even, I tried to put it, it wasn't doing, I'm just not handy. But I was installing fans, I was installing fans in the three kids' rooms, and I got to Allie's room, and I take the fan off. Like, at this point, this is my third fan, third, third or fourth, and so I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. I pull it off, and all of a sudden, it's like, huh, there's not a box for me to put screws in. Like, all of a sudden, like, my brain melted, and I became, like, Cro-Magnon man, and I'm like, I, I can't do, it won't work. And so I go, I remember, hey, there's a box that you're supposed to get. There's supposed to be a box in there. I just need a box. So I go to a hardware store here in Diamond Head, and I say, hey, need box. And they're like, for what? Fan. And so they give me box for fan. I go back to room for box with fan. And then I put box with fan in there. Now, if you're the building type, then you know there's like a couple of nails, nail hole thingies. And there's a couple, and like, and then there's a, a, a couple screws in there if you, if you twist them, it pulls out these, these little fan blade looking things and it makes it to where it's anchored in, right? Man, I'm so excited. I get my drill up there and I crank it in and I crank that one in and that one keeps going. And that one's not stopping. Is this one stopped? This one's not stopping. And I'm like, oh no. So then I get out like just a, a hand screwdriver and I realize I, I stripped it or broke it or whatever and it's not staying in. So I go back to store get fan, get box for fan, go back to room for box for fan and realize don't use drill on box for fan. I worked that out with fear and trembling. Or another way of putting it is the idea of like almost anxiety. When Paul says, hey, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's like, you're already saved. He's like, I want you to understand it. I want you to become more like Christ and you need to work out this becoming like Christ with fear. I'm going to break it. 
and with anxiety, like, I want to live rightly for Christ. And some of us, we don't live our lives for Christ with fear and trembling, with this awe for who Jesus Christ really is and what he's done for us. And we don't live with the, the anxiety of like, am I going to, am I really living as if I'm becoming more like Christ? And I know that because of like my own example of being able to just, I'm the guy that sits down and like I watch a show or two at night and like maybe, maybe there's some things that shouldn't be in our brains or shouldn't be in our stomachs or shouldn't be in our, our vocabulary. And we're not working, like would Jesus do that? And we're not working out our salvation with the anxiety of, am I living like Christ? And so you'll get to a point, if you don't live, if you don't work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you'll get to a point where you'll go back to the hardware store. Again, for the third time, I need box for fan. And then you'll break it again. And then you go back to church and you say, I need box for fan. I need box for heart. I need a box for, and you'll keep going thinking, this is what I need. And it's like, no, no, no. Everything that you need is right here in scripture. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you in that or you can be you can be like me and you can I broke box for fan I need more box for fan Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll finish up here Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 says it this way slaves obey your human masters with fear and trembling and that's kind of what we read in Psalm chapter 2, verse, verse 10 or 11, I think, this morning. With fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Which means we're not slaves. Yes, we are slaves to Christ. We are slaves to righteousness. And that's a churchy word, and I've told you before, it means slaves to living the right kind of way, God's way, Jesus' way that he shows us. This, when we've trusted in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to living for Christ. So, we live to become like Christ. My question as we close is, how would your life be different? Just think about it for a moment, just dream with me. Like, how would your life be different if you lived to become like Christ? What would that look like? What would change? What, what, what are some of those nuances, some of those little things that would change in your life if you lived every day, every moment, every decision, the things that you did, the things that you know you shouldn't do, the things that honor your spouse, the things that honor your boss, the things that honor your kids, the things that honor Christ. Like, what would, what would the little changes look like if you lived like you were becoming like Christ? How would your actions differ if they were done with the desire to do it right the first time? Oh, man, I messed that one up. Like, how would your life look different if you no longer, like if you had that fear, that anxiety of messing that up, and you're like, I'm just going to... I want to tell you that others take note when they notice your aim. For those of you that have kids, it's, it's your kids are taking notice of you when, and what your aim in life is, or maybe you're aimless. Your coworkers take notice of you, what your aim is. And that's why they'll come to you with conversation. Like, hey, you know, uh, you, you, you seem like a joyful person or you seem like you got it all together or you seem like a happy person or there's something different about you or you seem to have a peace in the middle of all this chaos. I want to talk to you, like, how do I get that? And I'm experiencing it. 
people will notice. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters here. It's my prayer. It's my prayer for anyone that's listening, that we've trusted you, Christ. We live for you, that we are saved. God, I know that you're drawing people to you. And God, for those of us that have trusted you, Christ, that, you, that we make you our aim, and that we live for you. So Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. To become alike you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.